Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow with two full weeks of preseason games under our belt and the third one coming up starting tonight. This comes out on Thursday, and I think at this point we're all pretty much in full-fledged countdown mode to real games, right? The preseason was fun for a minute to like wet our whistle because we're all so desperate for football, and obviously there's the unknown factor that's exciting again. For a little bit, you know, like a guy like Isaiah Likely looking as good as he did for the Ravens. That's exciting, especially when Randy Mueller, by the way, came on this podcast a few weeks ago and told us specifically to keep our eye out for him. That's why we listen to this podcast. But I'm at the point where I am now ready to fast forward to week one (laughs) and see what all these pieces look like in real games, where we're right, where we're wrong. And that is kind of what this episode is going to be all about. I'm talking to Shiel Kapadia from The Ringer, used to work for The Athletic. He's been on the show before. He's very, very good. We ended up talking in our conversation that you're uh, going to hear in just a second, a lot about teams that are kind of falling into that gap of, I'm not so sure, but I kind of have a gut feeling and let's talk through this. Um, Teams that we like better than most, a few teams that we like less than most. There have been teams this year that people are in on that I just can't get excited about, and we will talk about why that is. We're also going to talk about his recent ranking of defenses around the NFL and what he values most in a defense when it comes to trying to predict solid defensive play. But first, the big news of the week. We have an answer to one of our quarterback competitions. Not in Pittsburgh. There's talk about that job still being up for grabs. I can't imagine Tomlin putting Pickett back there to start the season the way that that offensive line has played. Um, I'd be shocked if it's not Trubisky, if for no other reason than that. But they say that it might come down to how those two guys play this week in the last preseason game. Uh, We still don't have an answer about Seattle's quarterback situation. Is it bad to say I don't care either? I mean, Geno? Okay. Drew? Okay, the needle moves so very little for me that I just can't quite bring myself to get fired up about that situation. I have in the past gotten fired up about the Panthers, though, a few times this offseason in ways that have uh, surprised even me. Uh, Matt Rule's approach to quarterbacks in general, the lack of a clear plan to develop Matt Corral, who unfortunately got hurt last week and will now miss the year, the Baker and Sam situation. Um, I said I wasn't convinced that Baker was obviously the guy there when they went out and got him. It turns out that I was wrong, or at least they seem to think that he is the guy. They've named him the starter. So he will be taking the field in week one against his former Cleveland teammates, who of course will be starting Jacoby Brissett with Deshaun Watson suspended for 11 games. Interesting note. It sounds like Deshaun Watson will be playing the role of Baker Mayfield um, for the scout team next week in practices. So that'll be interesting. Uh, But big picture, I want to talk about what this development means for Carolina. And that is where we're going to start today's show with Shield. So let's go ahead and do that. It's time to break the huddle. Let's go. Shield, it's good to see you. Thank you so much for taking time. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, I know you've been doing a lot of ranking lately, which I'm sure makes you incredibly popular in uh, Twitter, you know, places like that. People love, they always agree with people's opinions, never have any feedback about (laughs) the things that you uh, think are happening. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's been, you know, it's, it's been surprising. Everyone's just said you've nailed it one through 32. We can move on to the playoffs uh, and the Super Bowl. So I don't know what happened this year. I guess everybody's getting a little soft and uh, and that's how my last couple of weeks have gone. But it's all good. You know, I go in with those pieces uh, saying I'm going to be wrong. You can dunk on me in a few months, but you know what? It's only football. I don't have to be fearful of getting an offensive and defensive rankings wrong. Now, if I was worried about that, I would have uh, done something else. So it's all good. Totally. So I do have some questions. I guess I guess where I want to start with you is with the the more recent news, and then we'll kind of branch out from there. So the stuff that we have learned within this last week, um, I guess you could say we learned that Baker Mayfield will be the starting quarterback for the Panthers. I think a lot of people were anticipating that that was the direction that they were going to go. And you ranked them as the 22nd best offense. You were anticipating Baker as the starting quarterback when you put them there, I assume. Yeah, you know, Baker Mayfield, like his worst year has been so far in a way better than anything Sam Darnold has put together. Now you can look at circumstances and and that's totally fair. But uh, to me, when they made that trade, I would have been shocked if all of a sudden, you know, Sam Darnold, the guy they traded for last year, they weren't happy with, they bring in Cam Newton. They're looking at Deshaun Watson this off season. There was just like no indication that they had uh, any faith in Sam Darnold kind of building on what he did last year. So there's sort of a sneaky, interesting offense, I guess you could say, you know, like the pieces, yeah, the pieces aren't like terrible there, you know, DJ Moore. I mean, he's just produces regardless of whatever terrible quarterback he's playing with. And so if Baker Mayfield's like mediocre, I mean, I I love DJ Moore. I think he's a, he's a fantastic wide receiver. Christian McCaffrey, we'll see if he's healthy or not, but really on their offensive line, that to me is probably their biggest upgrade. They didn't add like any all pros, but they added a couple starters in free agency. And then of course they use a high draft pick uh, on Iquanu, the left tackle there. And so uh, I'm not telling you they're going to be great. I don't have a lot of faith in kind of the infrastructure, the coaching there based on what we've seen. But like, if you handed that offense to, I don't know, whoever your favorite offensive core, Andy Reed, let's say, like if you handed this same team to Andy Reed, I think he could like produce a, you know, an above average offense with them. Like, I don't think the talent is that bad. So uh, we'll see what that coaching staff is able to do with them though. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there, I guess. Like I just have no faith whatsoever based on what we've seen from Matt rule in the last year. And obviously there have been circumstances and you could point to like Christian Caffrey getting hurt. Those aren't the things that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about success or failure. I'm talking about the decision-making process. Like last year at the end of the year, when he rotated quarterbacks within a drive, like uh, that made no sense to me Um, this year in the preseason, the way he's handled his quarterbacks and Matt Corral's development or lack thereof. And now his injury, but that's, you know, you can't really uh, anticipate that. I think you have to just sort of let them play, but anyway, uh, what in a best case scenario, situation. What does that look like for the Panthers? Cause this is a team I feel like I've just sort of written off. Like I really haven't spent that much time talking about the Panthers and it feels in some ways gross to start the podcast today with talk about the Panthers, but because, you know, obviously they named Baker Mayfield, their starter, it feels like it's a base that we have to tap, but uh, I have had conversations with people that are like, I don't actually dislike them that much. And you just said that they, you know, are a team that could be, you know, well, you said they have sneaky good pieces, I suppose. Right. So what do you think their best case scenario looks like? 
Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm with you. Like I, I had forgotten about the rotating quarterbacks. I mean, I'm like, I'm very indecisive. If it's like, Hey, my way, hey, where should we go to eat? I'm like, I cannot answer that question. Please just choose a restaurant. That's kind of oh, how they too. are. Same, same with, you know, that's kind of how they've been with quarterbacks. Like the last, it's like, my okay, job is not picking to- restaurants though. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Yes, it feels a little exactly. different. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just what they've been like. Like every month they've had a different, you know, the, the owner has wanted to like, kind of go all in, you know, when he came into the league, I think there was some excitement. There was talk about analytics and forward thinking. And it's just like, this franchise has been a utter disaster uh, since the day he became owner. So uh, their best case scenario, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, careful to not really write anyone off in the NFC because I do think there are going to be spots to be had. And so I'm not going to be the bold person to predict them to like sneak into the playoffs with a nine and eight record. Uh, would that surprise me? Yes. Would it, it wouldn't be like shocking, I guess, you know, the, their defense actually was very interesting. I thought last year, like they've got some fun young pieces on defense and I thought they did a pretty good job last year, especially in the first half of the season. And so if they're one of these teams that just like wins a bunch of one score games or they get like amazing injury luck or some of these younger players who maybe aren't like household names now, like Jeremy Chin, you know, their safety, like, if he's an all pro this year, if Brian Burns is an all pro this year, those are all, I'm saying a lot of ifs here, uh, Lindsay, in case you haven't uh, noticed. So uh, I don't think all those things are going to happen. I think they're probably like a, you know, like a six, seven win team, most likely, but you know, it, it's the NFL. So you get lucky a couple of weeks and all of a sudden seven wins turns into nine wins and you're talking about the playoffs. If Christian McCaffrey stays healthy, because I feel like yeah. I've even forgotten what that looks like. You know, it was so long ago. And when he was healthy, obviously he can keep you in every single game. Uh, if Michael Thomas is healthy, the New Orleans Saints look uh, very different than I think if he's not healthy. Um, the hamstring injury that popped up this week was like the worst case scenario for me from a Saints standpoint, because I was just starting to buy the hype that he was going to be Michael Thomas again. He might still very well be, but like soft tissue injury is not what you want to hear at this point in the offseason. How concerned about that popping up when it did, do you think we should be? Yeah. I mean, I don't have any, you know, like, I don't know what exactly the injury is, but just seeing, you know, the last two years with Michael Thomas, I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't played. And so, um, any injury to him has to be a huge concern. I'm very skeptical of this saints team. I know there are reasons why people would be optimistic. They've got, you know, some pieces on defense. I just like, can't get over like Sean Payton to me is one of the best offensive coaches the league has seen in the last, like, you know, 20 years. And so, it's not like a little thing to say, Oh, Sean Payton's out, but they're keeping the coaching staff together. To me, it's like, all right, well, you know, that's kind of all I need to know. And it's not, Hey, you still have drew Brees, but Sean Payton's gone. It's like, you're going into this with Jameis Winston and Sean Payton's gone. And we're not sure about Michael Thomas. And like, I just add all those things up. And and like I said, the NFC, I think there are going to be a couple surprise teams in there. And you know, there are smart people who think the saints could be one of those teams. Uh, I can't get there with them. You know, I I think this offense is going to be uh, tough to watch. I think they're going to take a lot, take a lot of lumps with Winston. I think he's going to turn the football over. I'm not buying into that small sample uh, from last year where some of the numbers looked good. I never watched that saints team last year and thought, wow, Jameis Winston looks like a different quarterback. And so if you extend that sample to 17 games and you don't have this great coach with you and we'll see what their uh, coaching looks like, uh, I just have a lot of doubts that that is going to be a playoff team this year. I fully understand that thought process. My thing is this. I don't think that they got better at the quarterback position after Jameis Winston got out. 
or, you know, left with injury. Um, once we weren't seeing that offense operated by him. And I thought that the offensive pieces felt gross on a week to week basis. And yet they were winning games. You know, they were scrounging together games. Like when you went back and you looked at their record, you're like, that's a team I'm not interested in watching, but look at the record. And I don't know how much I, I know for me, I was arguing like banging the table. Like we have to put Sean Payton's name in the mix for coach of the year, because the fact that they have won as many games as they have with the people that they're trotting out onto the field every single week, like we have to give him credit for this because we don't respect any of the individual pieces, but some of the parts is somehow winning football games, but I'm not sure. Like, I guess the question for me is how much credit he deserves and how much of what he did with those pieces will have rubbed off on the coaches that are still there that I would assume are not going to mess with like how much of it is the special sauce that he actually brings to the sideline and how much of it was the coaching scheme and thought process and stuff like that, which they can duplicate. Yeah, that's a fair question because the, the schemes are not different. I mean, it's not when you usually have a coaching change and everything changes and you're learning a new playbook. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, the defensive coordinators, the head coach, and they've got a lot of veterans on defense. And so that's not really going to change at all. And even offensively, you know, Pete Carmichael, the new play caller has been with Sean Payton for a long time. And so that's not going to change. I just do feel like that's, you know, it, it's third down. Hey, what are we going to go with here on third and four, or, you know, you notice something during the week that is in his head, like, you know, not to give a coach like the, the sort of genius status or anything like that. It is the players, but I do think coaches find edges uh, in those ways. And I just don't know that their personnel is going to be good enough to overcome what they're going to lose from a coaching standpoint. I wonder how much from the outside he would, since he didn't hook up with another team, how much he'll still kind of be in their ear telling them what he sees. And it's different. Obviously he's not like, watching tape the same way and he's not at practice or in the meeting rooms or anything like that. So I don't know. I'm I'm curious. The Saints are an interesting one for me because I've said a bunch of times this offseason that I think that the roster feels gross. But then the more that I look at it, I'm like, I don't know if that's just carryover from last year because like the wide receiver options are completely different. They've got everybody that they had last year. They're just the twos, you know? Yeah. And so if you do have Jameis who is healthy, who and I have to be careful not to look at it from a fantasy standpoint, because from a fantasy standpoint, I think he's a viable fantasy quarterback um, because he's just going to, I think, you know, the touchdowns and the air yards, all that stuff, like him taking shots is good for fantasy, right? The interceptions don't hurt you as much in real world football, maybe a little bit more, but I think that the Saints defense is one that can perhaps metabolize a couple of turnovers because the defense should also be good. Um, I'll tell you what, since we're talking about coaching, I have questions about, and I feel like I don't want to raise my hand and shout this very loudly, but I am concerned about the Patriots. Uh, and I realize that if there's anyone in the whole wide world who has earned the benefit of the doubt, it is Bill Belichick. And that's why I'm not really talking about it that much, but man, the things that they did in the off season and the draft that they had and the way that this whole preseason training camp is going in terms of making changes is the offense adapting to the changes uh, the way that we would like to see them adapting at this stage in the game um, is Mac Jones developing. They have the most expensive group of pass catchers in the NFL. And yet, and again, fantasy, not always relevant. You don't want any of them in fantasy. Yeah. Like that's not a great like sign that they use that money wisely. 
There are just so many different, like who's calling the plays, the fact that it could even potentially be Matt Patricia, I find concerning. Like there's just so many question marks that I feel like the only upside that I see with the Patriots is that I'm giving Bill Belichick the benefit of the doubt because he's been good in the past. I don't, I don't really see anything else. I don't see any other reason to be excited about them. Do you? Yeah, it's almost like he got dared to, you know, test the public sort of faith in him. I mean, really, if another franchise hired Joe Judge and Matt Patricia after what they showed as head coaches and said, hey, we're going to hand our offense that was pretty good last year and like a surprise, a revelation last year, and we're going to hand our second year quarterback to these two guys, I mean everybody would just be mocking them uh, relentlessly going, this is a sign of an organization that has no idea what they're doing. And so really it comes, yeah, it comes back. And I, I've struggled with this too, because I'm like, well, you know, if the offense looks like it, it sucks, Belichick's just going to say, I'll, I'm going to go over and coach the offense this week. And he's capable of doing that. And it would be fine. But it's like, how many things can the head coach do? How many things can you put on the head coach's plate when he might not, or, or probably doesn't have offensive coaches that he believes in. And so from a talent perspective, they're just like a very mediocre team. In, in my opinion, you know, you mentioned those pass catchers. Like I think Bill Belichick almost got too much credit for the moves last off season when he went crazy in free agency. Like some of them, yeah. Kendrick Bourne was a nice player, but Nelson Aguilar, that was a disaster. Johnu Smith, that was a disaster. Hunter Henry, you know, was solid but is he going to be able to stay healthy again? And so there were kind of like a a lot of hits and misses there where they just went crazy. Like they found, you know, mom or dad's credit card for the first time they had this cap space and we're like, we're going to, we're going to spend it all. And so uh, I'm kind of with you. Yeah. I mean, I don't, they're to to me are kind of just like this, this cute little team, you know, it's not like the Patriots teams of the past. Like what is their ceiling? I mean, we saw when they went up against the bills in the playoffs, what that looked like last year. And it was like, these two teams don't belong on the same field uh, together. And to me, it looks pretty similar this year, except for the fact that the AFC is probably even better than it was last year, in my opinion. So, um, you know, I look at them as maybe like an eight or nine win team. You know, I I still think he's going to give them an edge. Uh, I think Mac Jones had a promising rookie season the offensive line, if it can stay healthy. Uh, But yeah, I mean, huge question marks. Like if it's week six and we're going, oh my gosh, this offense looks like a complete disaster. That also would not be shocking because we just have no idea uh, what to expect with kind of the coaching on that side of the ball. I'm not sure they're the second best team in their division. Yeah. You like the, I've been on the, I think I have the Patriots at nine wins and I don't really like the dolphins either. So I've got them in eight, but I think they're pretty. Yeah. I think if you wanted to tell me the opposite, I wouldn't say, you know, you're nuts. I, I think they're probably in the same kind of tier of team right now. I think for me with the dolphins, it's that I like the upside, like it's a projection to a degree. And certainly from a head coaching standpoint, it's a projection, but I like him. I like McDaniel and we'll see if he can be a head coach. But uh, I like the background and I like, you know, just what I've seen and heard from him so far. Uh, I like the moves that they made in the offseason. There's a question mark surrounding Tua and whether he's the guy to put it all together. But what is it that that makes you say that you're not necessarily high on them? You know, I, I look at that Tyreek Hill trade and I don't I don't think that's going to work out for them. You know, you talk about somebody with some of the most disturbing off field issues we've seen in the league in the last, what, 20 years. And now he's signed to this monster contract. He goes to Miami with an unproven quarterback and an unproven first year head coach. I mean, 
I just have a lot of doubts about whether that's going to work out. Like I can just picture him throwing the tablet on the sideline in week five, you know, and then complaining that they're not using him correctly or he's not getting the ball. And so uh, I need to see that before we I didn't believe see it. That that from him in Kansas City. I know. Well, he had Mahomes and Andy Reid. You know, I mean, it's, it's like you don't leave Mahomes in it. That's my whole thing. You don't leave Mahomes and Andy Reid generally and go to a better uh, situation or have it be the same when you go somewhere else. And so we'll see. I mean, maybe it'll work out. I could be wrong and maybe he'll be the weapon that they needed and play really well. But their offensive line, I have question marks about, you know, they added to Ron Armstead was a good move at left tackle. They signed, you know, Connor Williams, who was the Cowboys' worst offensive starter last year as their guard. And then they're just relying on a bunch of young players. And they really had one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL last year. So that offensive line might be a little bit better. I don't think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be below average. And so uh, that's how I see them offensively. And then defensively, it goes back to the coaching. I mean, yeah, they've got a lot of continuity with their players. But Brian Flores was a heck of a defensive coach. I mean, they were games we all watched over the last two years where he just had some of these offenses completely flustered. Like it was a game plan win where whatever his strategy was during the week of how I'm going to attack the opponent, you could just see that. And like he won that battle, not, not that the players weren't important, they're talented, but I do think he gave them an edge there. So I'm skeptical that they're going to be as good defensively as they were with Flores. So again, I don't think they're a bad team. I think they're kind of in that middle tier. I think they'll hover around 500. I've got them a little bit under 500. At, at eight and nine. And I think you're right that if some of those things that I just mentioned work out, then they could be kind of a, a surprise wildcard team. So if you're not in on my surprise, uh, I would say the Dolphins are kind of one of those teams that I have that was like middle of the pack that, or we one we expect to be middle of the pack that I kind of think tilts a little bit more toward good. I'm a little bit higher on them than maybe the rest of the field. Who would you say is that team for you? The t- you know, the team I'm probably higher on than most, and this has burned me in the past, so I'm like hesitant. I, mean, I want to just end the podcast and not embarrass myself here. But uh, I kind of like the Vikings uh, to be, you know, in the mix for for the playoffs this year. You're not alone I, I there. To- a lot of people, okay. I think, feel that way. Okay, so I'm still putting together, you know, I was just doing that before we started recording, going through my records and saying, all right, Sheila, who are you going to go on the record with? And I just look at it like they're going to have a coach who doesn't hate the offense and who Mike doesn't Zimmer, hate their quarterback. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't hate the quarterback. Like how are we matter. starting there? They have a coach. <laughs> yeah. who doesn't hate them. That's like, right. And, to the moon. And I kind of liked Zimmer. Like I enjoyed him being yes. you know, this curmudgeon and they won a lot of games. Like they were not a bad team under him, but I just feel like that's going to matter where they're actually trying to score points and the coach doesn't hate the quarterback. Like you said, the coach doesn't hate the offense. And it's not like the cupboard is bare there. You know, number one receiver. Yes. Star running back. Yes. Good. Number two receiver. Yes. And I don't, you know, I'm not like the biggest Kirk cousins fan, but he's going to be like slightly above average. I mean, we have enough of a track record of what he's going to be. He's not going to be a top five guy. He's not going to be a bottom five guy. He's going to be somewhere in the middle where coaching could help him. And so offensive line for like the 50th year in a row is a question in Minnesota. I get that if they can be like, okay, there, if Kevin O'Connell can be a good play caller, which we'll see. I mean, it's so hard with the first year head coaches, but I think there are like some encouraging signs there. At least uh, I think they can have like a, you know, top 10, top 12 type offense. And then uh, defensively, they're thin, but talented. And so if you were like, Hey, Sheil, I can guarantee you that they're going to have really good injury luck on defense. I would be really bullish on them because 
Zadarius Smith, when healthy, is one of the most disruptive defensive players in the NFL. Daniil Hunter, when healthy, I'm, I'm putting all these caveats in, is a great pass rusher. And then they've got kind of this mix of young and old uh, in the secondary. And so uh, I think they've got some talented pieces to, again, I'm not telling you they're going to win 13 games, but could they go 10 and 7 and be a playoff team? Uh, I think that's possible for the Vikings. I totally agree. People at each level of the defense, not a lot of depth need to stay healthy key component yeah. for them there. I'm really interested to see what that offense looks like when you do prioritize the passing game, because like looking back at, you know, just statistically speaking, you have Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen, who each caught 10 uh, touchdowns last year. And then KJ Osborne who caught seven. I mean, this is like, this is a lot in terms of passing touchdowns. So you're already kind of operating in this space where you know what the pass catchers can do. Irv Smith is an interesting part of that offense that I am, I'm looking forward to seeing because he's been so hyped for the last, you know, year and a half and just we're, we're still not really seeing him. It's still a projection. So uh, we'll see, but I'm not sure how important that is to the offense. Cause I do like the other, I mean, not saying that the tight end won't be important to that offense, but I'm saying like, if it doesn't work out with him, I think that they could potentially metabolize that because the other pieces are good enough. Um, you have written about the Eagles recently uh, this week as part of your all in decks that the ringer is doing uh, ranking the teams that are all in from one to 32, the Rams being number one and the Texans being 32, the Eagles are 21 on this list. And that has a lot to do with uh, the quarterback position. I guess they, I feel like they are all in. Would you think it's safe to say that they are all in outside that piece? Like that they've sort of built this team in an interesting way where a different then the way that they built their Super Bowl team, where they kind of got the quarterback and then built around the quarterback. In this case, they've sort of built a roster and they're just sort of waiting to find the right piece at quarterback. And maybe Jalen will be it, or maybe he will not be, in which case they will be all in on finding the quarterback next year. Yeah, yeah I think it's been all, you know, pretty much out of necessity. You know, when they had to move on from Wentz and take on that huge dead cap hit, they basically knew, hey, for a year here, we're just going to have to sort of take our medicine and then figure it out. And so that's what they did last year. And then they kind of overachieved on the field, making the playoffs. But then this offseason, they really, you know, I thought had a great offseason where they're building up the roster. A.J. Brown, Hassan Reddick. These are like guys in their mid 20s, you know, who you can really uh, add to your core because some parts of their roster were getting pretty old. Some of their best players uh, were older. And so now you look at their roster and you're just like, this is this is a really good, a really complete roster. It's a mix of young and old. You know, they're going to have some guys who are going to decline, but they're the then they're going to have some young players who should theoretically be on the rise. And so there are like a lot of pieces there, um, you know, probably the best offensive line in the NFL, the, the deepest offensive line in the NFL, which I think is always important when you can withstand an injury or two, because we know those are going to happen. They're not going to fall apart if those things happen. And then uh, the pass catching core, A.J. Brown, I mean, we all know he's the number one. Devontae Smith had a really good rookie season. Dallas Goddard is a good tight end. And so you look around and you say, this is a pretty good spot for a, a quarterback here. And then you're not sure about the quarterback. And so um, that's kind of, I think, where they are is right now with Jalen Hurts. They have to feel like, hey, all the pieces are in place this year. If he's ever going to be a top eight 
top 10 guy, this should be the year because I think they have the second easiest schedule in the NFL and the pieces are around him. And so I think that's what this year is about for them. If he plays great and you know they're this like surprise team in the NFC and win a lot of games and he plays well, then they can say, okay, you know what? This is a viable path forward to stick with Jalen Hurts. If he doesn't, and they're sort of stuck where they were last year or maybe even take a step back, then I think it also adds clarity to their situation where they can go into next offseason and be a really interesting team with two first-round picks. They can either say, hey, let's swing for a, a home run in the draft and try to get up there to the top three and draft somebody, or if one of these veterans becomes available, which we kind of been seeing every year where, whoa, we didn't think that guy was going to be available, they might say, hey, we can win right now if we add a quarterback who's an upgrade to Jalen Hurts. So uh, a wide range of outcomes m- makes them a pretty interesting team this year. What specifically does Hurts need to be better at this season in order to prove that he is the guy that they should move forward with? And I guess uh, in a layered sense, the pieces that they changed this year to put around him to help him accomplish those goals, how do they help him accomplish those specific things? Yeah, I think AJ Brown's the big one. I mean, if they have, there are these like heat maps that circulate at Jalen Hurts, where it's just like the middle of the field, he never throws there. And it's like, all right, that looks kind of weird. And so you never know. Is that a matter of him not seeing the middle of the field well? Is that scheme? Is that personnel? Uh, I asked Nick Sirianni about it when I went to the Eagles Browns joint practices, and he seemed to indicate that that's like personnel based. And so now you had AJ Brown, who's just like, Meaning what? Beast. That they didn't have a guy who was good going over the middle, yeah, or you know, just like, like the slants and you know somebody catching the ball in traffic who can you know make a play. Devonte Smith is not really that kind of guy. You know he's what a hundred and seventy pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but amazing on the outside. And so uh, I didn't totally buy that. That's all of it. You know I, I think you can look at it and say. Sometimes you can make things easier for the quarterback if you just say, hey, pick your best matchup on the outside and get rid of the ball. I think that was a a component of it as well. But now with A.J. Brown, I mean, we've seen him with the Titans just take slants and crossers and you know, stiff arm a guy to the ground and go 40, 50 yards, sort of like we saw with Debo Samuel. And so I think that will be a little bit more um, available to them here. With Hertz, I think, you know, accuracy and decision making are probably the two big things. I think there are times when, uh, you know, maybe he didn't see the field grade or he's a little late with a throw and he doesn't like some some quarterbacks like a Josh Allen. If they're a little late, it doesn't matter because they just have a cannon and the ball's going to get there anyway. I don't think Hertz has that kind of arm. And so his arm is probably like mediocre. And so if you're late and you have a mediocre or maybe even slightly below average arm, then all of a sudden it turns into incompletions or interceptions. So uh, I think that's probably something they're working with him on is, hey, you got to get rid of the ball on time, uh, and that'll kind of alleviate some of those missed opportunities. Did you get the sense, do you think, that they went out and got A.J. Brown specifically because of what he does on those slants and how he can potentially add a weapon for Jalen Hurts in the middle of the field? Or do you think it was more, we need a better wide receiving core in general, and he happened to be available. And it just happens that that uh, helps them improve what was kind of a weakness. Yeah, I think it's the latter. You know, I I think if I were playing quarterback, they still would have added AJ Brown. They're just like, this guy's what, 24 years old and has been like an all pro caliber player. I mean, when you can get those guys whose ceilings are that high at that age, you know, remind like when the Rams traded for Jalen Ramsey, it was like, they're giving up a lot, but man, this is like a, Hall of Fame type player who's not even in his prime and he's playing a premium position. So I almost always will be 
like defend the team on those when, when you're getting a guy uh, at that stage of his career. And so that's really what I was, what I think it was with AJ Brown. Also, if you look ahead and you're trying to, you know, get a quarterback next off season, whether it's trade or whatever, to be able to say, Hey, we have AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, like offensive totally. line, you know, that, yeah. that helps also because we know the quarterbacks are always like, what's the best uh, situation in addition to the money, of course. And so I think it does make them a more kind of attractive destination for that as well. What if they are in that position where they're looking for a quarterback, let's say that Jalen hurts struggles and it's like mid year. Do they have to just let Jalen Hurts ride it out because they're so invested in getting a good read on it? Do they turn to a Gardner Minshew? Do they try and make a deal? I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't necessarily make sense, but then again, you've got the NFC and we've said a couple of times that the NFC, there's opportunity there. So if you have enough good pieces that you feel like you're just a quarterback away, I I can't believe we're having a conversation about Jimmy Garoppolo being the quarterback to plug in in that scenario, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I don't think it's like the craziest thing. You know, now if it was the middle of the season, that would be surprising if if the 49ers held on to him or whatever. And then in the middle of the season, you're adding him because I, I feel like that's a really hard transition uh, at quarterback. But if Garoppolo, if no one trades for him and they release him or whatever, I mean, the Eagles have been his franchise who like at the most surprising times will just add a quarterback to have a quarterback because they like having options. When they drafted Jalen Hurts, I mean, it was a stunner. In the second round, you're going drafting Jalen Hurts. You just signed Carson Wentz. It goes back. It's sort of an organizational thing. Michael Vick, uh, you know, back in the day, it was like the Eagles or the team taking a shot on Michael Vick here. So whenever there's kind of an opportunity and they feel like they can get value, they often at least make the call or at least make the inquiry. And so uh, I think the most likely scenario, you know, Hurts even last year, if he's the same guy he was competent. He was mediocre. Like he wasn't bad. And so he would have to be really bad uh, for them, I think, to make a move. But I'll kind of never say never with them exploring different options at quarterback. Uh, In terms of the best offenses in the NFL, you ranked Kansas City ahead of everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. Ahead of Buffalo, uh, perhaps most notably. What um, what do you like about Kansas city that puts them over the top, uh, outside of Patrick Mahomes or is Patrick Mahomes the full reason? Yeah. I mean, it's mostly him. Uh, it's mo- you know, some, sometimes we have all these in-depth, uh, football conversations and you're just like, all right, who had, you know, they're like five quarterbacks who are really better than everyone else. They're probably going to win, uh, the most games. So, it, you know, it comes down to Mahomes, Andy Reid, and like a top five offensive line. Like, you could plug in average players, in my opinion, everywhere else on the offense. And if you just gave me those three things, I think they would probably still be like a top five, top eight offense. And I think their situation is different from the Packers. Like both teams traded, you know, a star wide receiver. I think the Chiefs have more kind of to, you know, they did more to address the situation than the Packers did. You know, they they still have Travis Kelsey. They add Juju Smith-Schuster. They add Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They draft Sky Moore. And so I'm not telling you all those things are going to work out, but if like one or two of those wide receivers is mediocre to slightly above average and you still still have Kelsey and those other pieces, uh, I just have so much faith in kind of the quarterback coach infrastructure there that they'll find a way to figure it out. Less so in Buffalo, because I feel like just comparing those two, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, kind of same, same. I feel confident uh, in both of their quarterbacking abilities. When you look at the Bills wide receiving core, I feel a lot more confident in their abilities. Um, running backs kind of a, a non-issue, frankly, in Kansas City. 
to a degree in Buffalo too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, you, you have the Kelsey thing kind of putting from a pass catching standpoint, maybe, maybe uh, allows the chiefs to catch up a little bit to the Buffalo bills, but, but I, I like their, uh, the confidence that I can have in, in their wide receiving core a little bit more. I think I probably would have put Buffalo number one, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think you're right. I mean, the pass catchers in Buffalo are better digs, uh, Gabe Davis, and then, you know, whether it's McKenzie or Crowder playing the slot, I, I think you're right there. I think I had the Bills too, so I wasn't that that far off uh, totally. from you. Yeah, but I, I We're think splitting that, hairs uh, here. The, the, the two concerns I have with Buffalo in there, again, very minimal concerns. One is the right side of that offensive line is uh, inexperienced and, and their tackle last year. Uh, Spencer Brown is coming off like a back injury. That always makes me a little bit nervous. So could they have some issues there? Possibly. And then the other thing is they're changing their play caller this year. You know, Brian Dayball, his philosophy was basically like just give Josh Allen the ball as much as possible. They had the most pass heavy offense in the NFL. And so now you're bringing in Ken Dorsey as the play caller. Maybe he'll do the same thing, but I get a little nervous when the head coach is a defensive minded coach, which Sean McDermott is, you know, and maybe Dayball saying, listen, I have autonomy of these off this offense. I'm going to you know, like, let me shape it. And now you have a first time play caller and McDermott yes. might say, listen, we don't need to be quite as aggressive. We have a good defense. And in my opinion, that would hurt them because I think they were doing it the right way. You know, when you have a quarterback like Allen or Mahomes or Herbert or, or Burrow, and then you have like a mediocre running game, which I think they probably will have, you're just kind of wasting plays when you're handing the football off on first down and second down, not to say you never do that. I mean, obviously you you do do that, but uh, when you kind of increase that percentage of the handoffs and take the ball out of the quarterback's hands, that to me, you're going to lose some efficiency there. So that's really what I'm curious about with Buffalo. The first month of the season, I want to see if we see a big change in their play calling or not. You've mentioned O-line play um, as a determining factor for you in terms of how good you think the offense is going to be with Kansas City and with Buffalo. What about Tampa Bay? What do you make of all of these offensive line injuries that they've suffered so far in the preseason? How do you think that impacts the O? Yeah, like a month ago, I think the Bucs were my Super Bowl team in the NFC. And now I'm going, do I need to, you know, do I need to pick somebody else? So I, I think probably they've had the worst month of any. I'm trying to think if there's another team that I'm missing. I don't, I don't know if you can think of anybody, but it feels like they've had the worst like training camp, right? Preseason of any team. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the one that I can think of in terms of yeah. teams that are expected to be good, right. suffering injuries at a pretty important spot. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I'm always like Brady's going to be in the same spot on every snap and he's going to get rid of the football in under two and a half seconds. So he's like the best quarterback to play offensive line for, but you know, you can withstand one injury, maybe withstand two, but to lose one guard to retirement, another guard to free agency, a center to injury, now another guard to a season ending injury. Like this is all adding up. And then Tristan Wirfs, uh, the right tackle, um, you know, we're not sure when he's going to be back. So I am kind of looking at it going, man, all, all these things uh, are really adding up where they're a little vulnerable. You know, I, I think that's absolutely fair to say. I'm not ready to say they can't figure it out. You know, it almost might be something where they'll still be good for most of the regular season. Maybe there'll be a week here or a week there where you go, 
wow, those injuries are really showing up. And most weeks, they'll probably be fine. But when you're talking about the Bucs, we're talking about ceiling, Super Bowl, or bust-type team here. Um, it, it absolutely is a factor. So we'll see. Maybe they'll make a move. Maybe they'll make a trade uh, or something here in the next couple of weeks. Um, that wouldn't be the worst thing. I mean, talking about the all-in teams, like no team really should be more all-in than the Bucs because Brady very well this could be his last year there. It could be his last year playing. They've got so many other good pieces there that, you know, making a trade and uh, giving up future assets. If I'm the Bucks, I would absolutely be looking into doing that. A hundred percent. That's the only reason I think that I'm kind of wary about being too concerned about this because it's just so clear that you have to have a good offensive line in front of Tom Brady. And so whatever it takes to go make that happen, I expect the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to make those moves. You mentioned your question that you have about wanting to see the run pass ratio for the bills as being one of the things you're most interested in seeing at the start of the season. What else is on that list for you? That's a good question. I'm, I'm, I want to see Trey, you know, Trey Lance to me, huge, like just the variance of the Niners. I don't know what to do with them. You know, if you told me, Hey, they're my sleeper Super Bowl team, I would say, yeah, I, I absolutely uh, mm-hmm. can see it with the talent around him, the defense, the coaching. If you told me they're going to take a pretty significant step back and not make the playoffs. I would say I could see that too, because he's just such an unknown. They have questions with the interior of their offensive line, but that's definitely like a week one. Uh, I want to see what the Niners look like. Um, Another one, when you mentioned that, Russell Wilson, I mean, this to me is just such a fun story because a lot of times when we have these hypotheticals, we never get the answer. You know, they had this struggle, Russell Wilson versus Pete Carroll. And Carroll thinks, hey, we got to play this way and it's going to be good for you. And Wilson's going, no, let me do more. I can do more. I belong in the class of these other quarterbacks. Well, someone's going to be right. You know, either Wilson's going to be really good in Denver in this system where he has all kinds of control and good enough weapons around him where we're going to be looking at this at the end of the season going, Oh my gosh, how this if the Seahawks would have just let him do this the last, you know, three, four years, maybe they would have won another Super Bowl. Or it's possible we look at the other side and it's like, well, the grass isn't always greener. You know, they're passing the football a lot, but he's not quite at that level as those top level quarterbacks. And hey, maybe Pete Curl, you know, he's coached a lot of football games and maybe he knew how to best use Russell Wilson. And so that to me is just so fun because. I mean, those two have just spent so many years together and those Seahawks teams were like so intriguing on so many levels. And we're going to get some answer to the question, maybe not just this year, maybe like the next two years. What do you, if you had to bet right now on whether or not this year is what Russell Wilson is perfect world wants it to be in terms of making a point with the Broncos, which way do you see it going? I'm taking the Wilson side. I think, you know, I just feel like they had, I think 10 years with Russell Wilson as their quarterback. And in eight of those years, they had a top eight offense. And that's just like so hard to sustain. I mean, that's like an incredible run. And so, you know, you can say, hey, he, they were doing these things to help him. But as we discussed earlier, usually it's the quarterback lifting everybody else up and making up for other people's mistakes. And so uh, I think his supporting cast is good enough. I think he's going to be motivated because what we just talked about, uh, he's in this tough division. And so uh, I'm betting on the Broncos offense being pretty good, the Broncos being a playoff team. And, you know, if you if somebody wanted to have them as their sleeper, I don't think, you know, I think their ceiling is Super Bowl caliber. I think they they have things that they need uh, to go right. And it's a tough division and a tough conference. So I'm not quite there with them, but uh, I think they're going to make some noise and, you know, m- maybe get to the divisional round. I don't know. I feel like I am the opposite on the Broncos. 
for okay. reasons that are, you know, I I've, I've mentioned them a lot on this podcast, so I'm not going to get into all of the details, but I don't know that I am all that excited about the wide receivers there. And I, but I realized that they haven't had the types of quarterbacks in the past that would make a wide receiver look like, oh, wow. You know, but then I also look at like Amonra St. Brown who like flashes in Detroit with Jared Goff. And I'm like, I don't know. I see it with him. I don't know that I have seen the kind of consistent play from Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy to where I go. Those are the answers for him. And then I've heard people talk about the Denver Broncos and the run game, which I agree, Javante Williams is a very exciting young running back. And I don't think that Melvin Gordon is getting, you know, thrown away anytime soon. And I think he's good in the role that they want him to be in too. But then also like, how how much are you going to use that run game when the whole point of this is let Russ cook? So I'm not a hundred percent. I'm not sure. And then they're not using Albert Okwebunan, who looked pretty good at the end of the year last year, but now doesn't appear to be much of a, a part of their plans. At least it doesn't look that way in the preseason. I don't know. I feel like I'm getting kind of mixed messages about yeah. the Broncos and my gut just says like, I'm going to stay away from that one from a betting standpoint. And I think that they're, they're my last place team in the AFC West, but that's not saying that much because I think the AFC West is going to be insane. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they have some offensive line questions too. Uh, you know, defensively, it's kind of like what we talked about with the Vikings. If new coach, yeah, new coach, new coach. No, I, I no idea what to expect from him. And so their edge rushers, are they going to stay healthy? So they definitely have uh, have question marks. But uh, I think it's going to be fun to watch uh, one way or another because everybody's you know sort of uh, prior thoughts are either going to be uh, confirmed or debunked, and there will be a lot of arguing about what's going right or what's going wrong. So uh, they're definitely on my list of teams to watch every week. Is there a range of outcomes uh, for you where the Green Bay Packers are not good this year? Probably a month ago, I was I was really ready to to go like all in on that. You know, I just looked at it and I felt like the Packers should be approaching these years like the Rams, where they're saying, just look at every year, like kind of like it's your last year and do everything you can to win the Super Bowl. And that's not really uh, how they operate. And so uh, the Adams trade and then not doing anything to replace him. I'm going, is this really what you're going to go into this year with? And so I was ready to kind of go all in with that. And then I just looked at it and you just look at Rogers like, even the years where he was with Mike McCarthy or didn't have wide receivers, just have a top 10 offense, I think, all but two years with him as the starter. And so now they're getting some good news on the offensive line. And so I'm not, you know, I'm probably lower on the Packers, I think, than most. I don't think they're going to get to the Super Bowl. You know, I probably won't even pick them to get to the NFC Championship. But um, I'm not ready to say they're not going to make the playoffs. Like, I think they're still good enough to probably win uh, at least uh, 10 games, even, even with the doubts I have about them there. So this is the team I, I saw at least on social media that you got the most pushback about yes. in terms of your defensive <laughs> rankings. They did not like where you had them. Where did you have them? How, how low were they? I had them 17. Okay. And this yeah. is the one, would you say that's fair to say this is the team that you got the most pushback about? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think a lot of people are, are high on their defense and I can sort of see it, but I think we're kind of, um, you know, my thing is just that they were mediocre last year and you look at, they get Jair Alexander back. Who's great, but they got really good injury luck on the rest of their defense. And so that's probably unlikely to happen again. I think a lot of people are saying, Hey, Devonte Wyatt and Quay Walker, these two rookies, I think one of the big 
like mistakes and I, it happens to me too, but in like football analysis is you see a team draft a player high and you just assume that person's going to step in and be really good. And it so rarely happens like Micah Parsons, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, those guys are the exceptions. Like for every player like that, there's 10 guys who are either average or below average um, in their rookie seasons. And so I just look at look at some of those things and kind of want, you know, I don't think they're going to be a bad defense. I just think they're going to be more mediocre than taking this leap to be a top five or top eight unit. But as I've told all those Packers fans, I've been wrong before. I will be willing to admit my mistake in late December if their if their defense looks incredible. Totally. I feel like a lot of us are putting ourselves in positions where we could raise our hands with the disclaimer of like, I might be wrong. That's how I feel about the Broncos. I might be wrong. This is just what my gut is saying. Like I can't get past the ways in which this isn't computing to me. It's not equaling in my brain, the same thing that it is to a lot of people. But with regards to the Packers, you're you're talking about the rookies on the defensive side of the ball, same on the offensive side of the ball. I kind of feel like what we're hearing from Aaron Rodgers in these last, well, frankly, this last week about, you know, we're hearing reports that he wants like Sammy Watkins and the more established guys to be the guys that we see on the field more frequently in the beginning that I think limits the upside, at least out of the gate. It lets him be him, which is great. But in terms of, you know, a wide receiver who we can expect to make a big play or something like that. I'd, I don't know that I see any of those options on the field. Alan Lazard, I think we've seen enough to kind of know what he is. And if he gets a lot more volume from Aaron Rodgers, then certainly that elevates his status. But I don't know that he is going to suddenly turn into the next Devonte Adams. I think, you know, you could make the case that like, you know, the 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 rookies that they have, we don't know. So maybe they are those types of flashy players, but the fact that he doesn't want to work with them out of the gate kind of like caps the offense to a degree in my brain. And I'm sure that obviously that's not the way that he sees it. He wants at least a high floor so that then he can raise the ceiling and the ceiling can go just wherever he wants it. I I, I don't know. How do you, how do you view what the right way to approach that is offensively for them? Yeah, I I just don't like the whole group. You know, I feel like you need to do something to put yourself in a better position where it's fine to take those lottery tickets on Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson, but that can't be plan A. You know, there needs to be a better plan A where we're going to establish our floor, kind of like you mentioned. And then, hey, if these players pop and outplay the uh, the veterans in front of them, that's great. But I just don't feel like they've done that. I mean, if you're a defensive coordinator game planning for the Packers. Yes, you have to worry a lot about Aaron Rodgers, but it's not like, hey, we've got our roll our coverage here. Or we're worried about this guy beating us uh, over the top. Or man, what if they're just throwing these uh, back shoulders to Devontae Adams on every third down? Like all those things that keep defensive coordinators up at night with that pass catching group. You're just saying like, if you're a defensive coordinator, you're kind of saying we can play whatever coverages we want. We don't have to do anything special uh, for this offense. And so I hope Romeo Dobbs is awesome, but I think expectations are important. And if you look at the median rookie season for fourth round picks over the last 10 years, it's 68 yards total for, for rookie wide receivers drafted in the fourth round. And so like, you're really asking a lot of somebody taking at that draft slot. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying it can't happen. We say exceptions every, every year, but when you're going with expectations um, to expect him to even perform as like a number two wide receiver this year, that would be a huge outlier compared to everything else we've seen in the NFL uh, over the last 10 years. So that's kind of how I view that group. 
I'm trying to remind myself of that constantly. Now, this is the time of year when we look at the rookies and we watch them in preseason and we get excited and we see nothing but ceiling and uh, we forget that the floor can be incredibly low. Uh, What you just said about rookie wide receivers, especially late round, I'm trying to remind myself about rookie tight ends. The more that I watch Baltimore play, because Isaiah likely is becoming a guy who, at least in fantasy drafts, I've been able to pick up with like my last pick of the draft a couple of times. And I'm feeling so, so, so smart for doing that in a couple of places um, because I'm starting to see a scenario where they go a lot of too tight. Um, Now, that said, rookie tight ends don't have a long track history of success in the NFL. So I'm trying to like remind myself to keep this all in perspective and not get out of control about Isaiah Likely's upside, but he just looks so good to me. And it feels like it makes smart strategic sense for them to use a lot of uh, two tight end formations because I don't love their wide receivers, much like we're talking about, you know, green Bay here, you have Lamar Jackson And you're just not putting the wide receivers around him that I think can help him elevate his passing game, which is, you know, the question that everybody wants to attach to him all the time, not because he's not a good passer, but because that's not their tendency. And he's so extremely um, flashy on the ground. Like we know, we know a hundred percent what we're getting from him in that, in that sense, but they haven't really developed the passing game since he's been the quarterback. And I'm not sure that I see the opportunity for them to do that this year with the weapons that they have. Yeah. The pieces aren't, you're absolutely right. I mean, you you don't look at this and say, all right, if they were ever going to, you know, it's kind of like the opposite of what we said with Jalen hurts. It's not like, Hey, pieces are around. If it's going to happen, it's going to be this year. It's sort of like the opposite. I mean, I like Rashad Bateman a lot, but we'll see, you know, second year uh, player, Mark Andrews is obviously a great tight end. Likely is a lot of fun. I mean, that's why, yeah, I try to check myself too. Cause you watch him and go, he looks the part, There's going to be opportunities, like you mentioned, they could easily play with two tight ends. So uh, I was at Ravens camp and I feel like, you know, internally they, they are sort of, it kind of matches the hype that we're seeing uh, externally among us. Like they've just seen this from him day in and day out. So again, the odds are kind of stacked against you in that spot, but it doesn't mean it can't happen. And, And especially in that offense, there'll be chances. So I don't know what that offense is going to look like. I mean, that's probably another, when you were asking me what I'm looking forward to this year, I, I mean, Ravens really on both sides of the ball to me are really intriguing. Are they going to go back and be very run heavy because of what you said? You know, I, I don't think you look at this group and say, this is the year to pass the football more. So I, I do think they're probably going to be more run heavy. Can Rashad Bateman uh, take a step up? Can likely be a guy for them where the passing offense is good enough. Those are all questions. And then, defensively, I think their defense, uh, I think I had them as my top rated defense. I just have high expectations for them. They were so decimated by injuries last year. And I think they have a lot of talent. I think they have a good mix of younger players with veterans and they're kind of switching up how they want to play defense this year, where they can be more flexible rather than just kind of that, what was in their DNA, which was blitz, 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 man coverage, man coverage, man coverage, forget about who's on the field. And that really burned them last year when they got hurt by those injuries. So I think they're going to have opportunities to play uh, different kinds of ways, depending on who the opponent is. So uh, that's a team I I definitely uh, am intrigued by this year also. I think I'm lower on the Ravens this year than most people that I talk to. And this is again, one where I like the Bill Belichick, I don't want to shout it from the rooftop because I think that there's such a high probability that I will end up being proven wrong. But like, I look at Lamar Jackson for fantasy purposes, for instance, and I think he's obviously one of the 
most talented quarterbacks in the NFL, but the way that they have constructed this offense, I'm just not sure that I see room for growth this year for him. Yeah. And you know, again, this is getting in fantasy weeds, but like he's going as QB four. well in the last two years in terms of average points per game, because he's missed games. So that's the better way of looking at that. He was QB eight and QB nine. So I'm like, so we're expecting him to go back to where we think of him in the quarterback mix, though he's proven to be down here from a fantasy standpoint, but like, how are we accounting for the jump in points? And again, if you could get him in each QB eight and he's QB nine, that's great. It's just a value conversation in terms of where you're taking him in your drafts. So I have made this argument lately that like, this is a guy I'm staying away from. And I can't believe that that's something that is coming out of my mouth because, you know, he's Lamar Jackson. And I think he's incredibly talented. I'm just not a hundred percent sure. Everybody's like, yo, well, the Ravens are back when they have the Bengals conversation. People are like, well, you know, the Bengals will regress. And I know you're on the same page as me in terms of like, I I don't see it because the pieces are just so good. So I get the math. I get there is math. But I just think that if you look at this in a vacuum, you go, who are the teams you believe in the most based on what they're putting out on the field? I think that the Bengals uh, can make a strong argument for that for me. But when you talk about the AFC North with regard to the Bengals, people are like, well, the Ravens will have Lamar back. Like, that's a given. But the Bengals' success is not a given, even though they have Joe Burrow and T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon. And you know what I mean? Like on and on and on. Yeah. When, when I'm on the fence with some of these teams or can't figure out what I think about them, I, I basically am just like, do I, do I believe they're going to have a great passing offense or not? Because right. that just determines so much. And all the arguments against the Bengals are you know mostly valid in, in terms of, hey, they should regress here. They're going to have a tougher schedule. The advanced metrics weren't that great on them last year, even though they made it to the Super Bowl. They were more of a, a mediocre team. They got lucky in some areas. But uh, I mean, we all watch Burrow and Chase, and you mentioned it, probably the best wide receiving group in the NFL. And so to me, their problems are pretty were pretty explainable, which was one, the offensive line stunk. I mean, really bottom three unit in the NFL. And so they signed three competent starters at the very least this year. So I'm not telling you it's going to be like a top five offensive line, but if you go from like 30th to 19th, I mean, that's a huge jump. And so if if you're giving Burrow that much more time and he's not taking those negative plays and he's got these guys to throw it to, I'm just going to believe in that formula uh, time and time and time again. And so uh, I'm with you. I think, yeah, I think I have them as relatively even teams. I think I'm going to have the Bengals winning the AFC North and the Ravens in there as a wild card. But your points about the Ravens are completely valid. I mean, their offense has you know, just statistically has taken a step back, you know, 2009 to 20, 20 to 21. And now you look 21 to 22. What's the reason for them to take a huge leap up other than, you know, better injury luck, which does matter. So um, I think the floor is pretty high because, because Lamar is just such a, uh, the, the run game is going to be fantastic and he's going to make plays as a passer. Like I, I think probably mediocrity is their floor, but that ceiling, you know, he would really have to have an MVP caliber season again for them to have like a top five, top eight offense. So I I think I've got them more in like the 10 to 15 range. I agree. So we're clearly um, tilting teams for quality quarterback play. Uh, I do think where the Ravens are concerned, they kind of maybe fall into that Sean Payton category for me too, where I I, I trust that they're going to be coached really, really well. 
And yes. so um, the the other things that might pop up during games that would get in another team's way, I feel like they're going to be able to avoid all of those potential pitfalls and like the special teams will be insane and stuff like that. But looking at the defense and ending on this note, because you ranked the defenses recently for the ringer, um, what do you, we know that defenses are a little bit more volatile and tougher to track from year to year. What tips a defense? How do you prioritize what makes a particularly good defense in the sense that like, if we have a good quarterback, we're, we're elevating that team. What do you think is most important for the defense to have when you go about ranking them? Yeah, it's tough because turnovers matter so much. And those are so hard to just predict year to year, like the Cowboys, you know, takeaways last year where, you know, they benefited more than any defense in the last five years. And so you look at that and go, that's going to be really hard to repeat again in 2022. So, uh, I mean, I usually just look at personnel, usually, you know, not to say the run game and run defense doesn't matter, but I don't know. Usually like if a, if a team's running the football, def most defensive coordinators are going to be like, okay, that, you know, and, and the team has a great quarterback. They'll be like, okay, that's a win for us. I mean, you just picture it like logically, if you're facing the chiefs and you spend all week worrying about Patrick Mahomes and then he hands the football off, you know, you're probably in the coach. Bring Clyde edwards helaire at me all yeah, day long. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Five yards. Yeah, go ahead. Do it. Do it again. And so um, I look a lot at the pass rush the uh, secondary and then the coaching, you know, I think some of these defensive coordinators, they just are fantastic at scheming stuff up and being flexible and figuring out, Hey, uh, this week we're going to do one thing. The next week we're going to do something else. So I think that flexibility is a lot more important now than maybe it was when like those Seahawks defenses were so good and they could just say, Hey, we're going to line up the same way. Every snap, we know exactly what route concepts you're going to throw against us. It's not going to matter. We've practiced all of them. We've got like, you know, five hall of fame players and we're going to dominate. Like that's fine if you have that level of talent, but most teams don't. And so I think that you, you need to kind of create that uncertainty with the quarterbacks, um, you know, different looks, different stuff than you've shown on film. And I think there, you know, obviously some defenses are better at doing that than others. Which defense that you think is going to be good this year, do you think is the most vital to the team's success? That's a good question. I'm, I'm trying to think of who I, uh, it's I kind of I a had vague to... question. Cause I guess it could, yeah. that could mean a bunch of different things. Like the offense yeah. is very good. Does the defense do their job or the offense sucks and the defense keeps right. them in games. You could go in a bunch of different directions, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean the chargers, we didn't talk about, and I don't think they're vital to team success, but I think if you think the chargers are going to win the super bowl, which I don't think is a crazy take to have, I think they're then... in it. Yeah. Yeah. And given what the moves they made in the off season, like talent wise, I mean, I was, I think I had them sixth, but I was tempted, like I was rearranging and I had them at two or three. Cause I'm just looking at their defense going, all right, edge rush. Yes. Bosa and Khalil Mack. That's an, that's an elite duo. They signed these defensive tackles who are not like household names, but are pretty good. Derwin James is an all pro in the back end. We talked about takeaways. JC Jackson's like the best takeaway corner uh, aside from maybe Trevon Diggs in the NFL. And so there are like enough pieces there where, you know, if Brandon Staley is going to prove that he is a very good defensive coach and he had the great year with the Rams. And then last year they did not have a good defense. Like there's enough talent there for them to have a top five uh, defense. And so I think that's probably a team where it would, you know, raise their ceiling a little bit um, if, if they were to have a very good defense. Yeah. Even a rotating piece, like a Kyle Van Oy and just having the leadership yes. to go the distance, right? Someone who's been there before and has seen everything out there. I totally agree with you. I love their 
a roster build this past off season. Well, I guess the last few off seasons since they lucked into Justin Herbert and then what they've done with it since then. She'll thank you so much for your time. I really love talking football with you and really appreciate you making time for me. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks for having me. And you can find more from Shiel on Twitter at Shiel Kapadia. His name is spelled S-H-E-I-L. Last name is K-A-P-A-D-I-A. His work can also be found on the Ringer's website, and he can be heard on the Ringer NFL podcast also. Big thanks to him for coming on the show. I'm working on something for next week that I'm kind of excited about, sort of an insider's look into one of my favorite teams of the year. So fingers crossed, I'm hoping that that pans out and that you will join us for that episode. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Andrew Emmer is our wonderful producer. Big thanks to him as always. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can also subscribe to the show wherever you stream your podcasts. I also love getting your feedback, so hit me up on Twitter at Lindsay underscore Rhodes. Lindsay Rhodes NFL is my handle on Insta. And we will be back next week with more and a roar that will restore... I hope. See you next week. Serious XM Podcasts.